Welcome to the Life Purpose Podcast, the podcast that supports you in finding and embodying your purpose. My name is Paulisari, and I am your host. In this episode, I talk to Dustin DiPerna. Dustin is a visionary leader, entrepreneur, and recognized expert in world religions. He is author of three books, Streams of Wisdom, Evolution's Ally, and Earth is Eden. He has studied closely with Ken Wilber for more than a decade, and he has practiced and studied Tibetan Buddhism in the lineages of Mahamudra and Dzogchen with Daniel P. Brown. He has held positions with the Integral Institute, the Integral Spiritual Center, and the World Council of Religious and Spiritual Leaders. In our conversation, we touch on many things related to soul and purpose, but a couple of things that stick out to me are the conversation about relative and absolute purpose, and about the larger purposes beyond individual purpose that we also can connect to, such as the purpose of our community and the purpose of our planet. I also found a discussion about surrendering to soul and the fears that may come up in relation to that to be very clarifying. So, here is my conversation with Dustin DiPerna. I hope you'll enjoy it. Okay, so welcome to the Life Purpose podcast, Dustin. Thank you so much, Pauli. It's so great to be here with you. So, I would like to start with a very basic question just to set the foundation here, and that is, what is purpose for you? How do you see that? Mm. One of my favorite ways to consider purpose is to use a metaphor that relates to the ancient way of finding direction using the stars. Mm. So if we imagine the way in which we're out in the open sea and we're not sure where to go, if we study the stars, we can use the stars as a map or a constellation to find our direction, to find deeper meaning, to find our way. And in a similar way, I see purpose as learning to read the horizon of our own life, learning to navigate by the stars of meaning that can come up in our own lives. And when I'm working with people individually and I'm helping them sort through their purpose, I often lead them through a series of exercises where they begin to pick out what are their North Stars? What are the mm-hmm. stars that they're using to find their way? And I say that often that purpose is a direction towards deeper meaning and fulfillment of destiny. And so if we use that as a framework, then each of us is in our ship navigating on the open sea, finding our way through the, these bright lights that shine above us. And with that as a metaphor in place, I find that if you can just pick out one or two of those stars that you know are the right direction, you know, it's like the North Star and maybe a larger constellation, then people have a better time and an easier time finding their way. So for me, purpose is that movement towards greater wholeness, greater destiny, and greater fulfillment in our life, using the directionality of these stars as a, a way to navigate. Hmm. That's a beautiful metaphor. (laughs) 
So where does purpose originate? What if what is the source of our purpose? I just want to say from the beginning, one of the things that I appreciate about some of these questions is that I feel a bit like a an oracle. It's like mm. I may or may not know the I may or may not know the answers, but <laughs> just by just by asking the questions, it sort of evokes a response. And I just want to appreciate that both the mm. intention of the question, but also, you know, who knows? There's sort of, sort of this great mystery that we all live in. So my first response is, it's such an incredible mystery that we live in. Mm. So even if I even if I give a response to this particular, you know, question of where it comes from. I, I want to hold that with so much humility and mm. uncertainty and hold that within the mystery of what we're all experiencing. Yeah. Um, and, and as a human being who's grappling in the dark, trying to find purpose and meaning and understand how to be of service to human beings in my own life, like there's a few threads that perhaps I've found that I've started to tug on that might uh, have provided meaning for me. So... I'll answer mm. with that in mind and with that sort of mystery uh, as the context. Mm. So there is a way in which uh, I often like to articulate a difference between absolute purpose and relative purpose. And I think it really deeply relates to where purpose comes from it, it relates to this question mm. so from my own spiritual practice as a practitioner of tibetan buddhism and long-term uh, uh, student of the great mystical and spiritual traditions of our planet um, one of the things that i've come to experience is that there is an intention that's built into the entire cosmos that it's an intention to reveal itself to itself. There's an intention for the cosmos to reveal its own divinity and wholeness to all of itself. That is part of the thread that's followed by these deep mystical and wisdom traditions of our planet. There is a type of revelation or awakening that's possible mm -hmm. for human beings and for life to recognize themselves as an interconnected whole, an unbounded sea of life. And that realization in a certain way is what I would call absolute purpose. Following that thread is like the ultimate meaning that each being, each creature, each life is moving towards. There is a revelation of that ultimate wholeness that's possible for us as human beings, and as beings across many different realms, times, and species. So mm -hmm. purpose comes from an innate, innate intention of the cosmos to reveal itself to itself. There's one aspect that's uh, related to that sphere. Mm -hmm. But there's also a relative purpose. And a relative purpose is the unique way in which each of us as individuals can contribute to this amazing symphony of unfolding of our experience. When, when we align with our relative purpose, we align with our unique gifts, we align with our unique contributions, and we align with the unique ways in which we are constellated as a human being to show up and to serve 
in the world to meet a particular need that the world has. So that purpose comes from both our individual uh, experiences. It comes from the family constellation that we're grow we grew up in. It comes from the larger culture that we're embedded in. And it comes from the need that the world might have at the moment for deeper wholeness and deeper evolutionary potential. So we have both this absolute purpose of the cosmos waking up to itself through itself. And we have mm -hmm. a relative purpose that relates to the gifts that we uniquely have to offer and how those gifts begin to build into the symphony of unique gifts that are offered by all human beings to create the relative evolution of the cosmos. And for me, both of these are so vital. And what I found throughout my own practice and through working with many different teachers of different traditions is that sometimes one side of this purpose equation is emphasized over the other. Some groups emphasize mm. relative purpose and the unique gifts and unique contribution that each human being can make. Other groups emphasize this absolute purpose and our transcendence of relativity into the ultimate wholeness of reality. And what I found to be such a powerful combination is when absolute purpose and relative purpose weave together and we find both the realization of what's possible as the cosmos wakes up to itself while simultaneously being a unique being or expression of that cosmos and then offering our gifts into the world, into this symphony of unique voices. And both of those combined to me is one of the most sacred things that we can begin understanding, living, and uh, being in our lives. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I love the way you put that. It's um, it can I think at least for some people it can be a bit difficult to wrap one's head around that there's these two purposes that are so they seem to be in opposition to each other in a way because one is about uniqueness and the other one is about the opposite of uniqueness in a sense. But when you speak about it, it just they just mix and blend in such a <laughs> A natural way. Um, so I really appreciate that. Well, I think many of us mm. had the experience um, that these two things have to be held separate. I mean, many of us think that in order to transcend our uniqueness into an ultimate wholeness, we have to somehow leave behind our uniqueness, or vice versa. That yeah. if we want to emphasize uniqueness, how could we possibly? Also, simultaneously feel the sameness of us ourselves as the cosmos and. But with the direct experience of these things, there's no contradiction that these two aspects seamlessly weave together. They're two sides of the same coin. And that's part of the beauty mm. of, of being on an experiential journey, and not just a theoretical one. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. There's many things that don't make sense on paper, but in experience they do. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. So I'm curious because you, I don't recall hearing you mentioning soul at all here. And mm, I know many people, including myself, hold the view that purpose in some sense originates from our soul, that it's our soul that knows our purpose and kind of holds it and carries it. Um, how do you view that? Well, I think for better or worse, one of the things that I've learned over the years is to speak to my audience 
And mm. so I've found so many audiences to be, um, in a certain way, to have an allergy to the word soul uh, yeah. for particular reasons. There's been a, you know, a way in which we've inherited, at least in the West, we've inherited a particular framework that's a Judeo-Christian framework. And then many people in the West have then, um, in a certain way, abandoned that framework for a more scientific worldview. And as yeah. a result, mentioning of things like soul can create an allergic reaction in people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so sometimes I'm sensitive and hesitant to use language like that. But in my deepest heart, I love to use the language of soul and I love mm -hmm. to use the language of God because I think it's um, at the same time being provocative, it feels like it actually accesses something of the sacred that's left out of our more secularized worldviews. Mm -hmm. So I feel very comfortable using the word soul and can speak from a soul perspective if in fact you think that's something that's not going to create too much of a allergic reaction <laughs> in your audience. And so if that's no. the case, yeah, if that's the case, then why don't I go into that particular aspect a bit more? Yeah, please. So I often say that purpose when we're speaking at the level of personality is embedded in the family structure, the culture, and the planet, and the unique gifts mm -hmm. that emerge as a result. But if we speak about purpose from a level of soul, we have to take a much broader horizon of how we're understanding purpose. I often mm. say that purpose is both the, the ultimate pleasure, the ultimate pain, and the wisdom that we carry with us from life to life. The pleasure gives us this desire impulse to create more of what we know is good, true, and beautiful. The pain gives us a sense of this contraction, the anti-purpose impulse, what we actually want to stay away from, what doesn't work, what actually leads to greater suffering for self and others. And then ultimately, the wisdom aspect is the way in which that ultimate purpose or that, that absolute purpose is a seed in our own hearts as a soul that reveals the whole cosmos to itself. And so for me, we can look at purpose as something that deeply involves an evolution trans-incarnationally, meaning life by life by life. There are threads of purpose that weave with our own karma or our own inheritance of action. And that when karma is woven together with wisdom, we find that we're, we're actually divining our own destiny. We're, we're on a pathway where our destiny reveals itself as a result of our actions in the past, both pleasure and pleasurable and painful, but also that seed of wisdom as it reveals itself. So to me, purpose is something that's deeply embedded into the transincarnational journey of the soul. Mm. Um, so we can look at it from a level of personality or a level of soul. And I think both of those are helpful. Mm. Yeah. And... Um... Yeah, maybe a little bit more clarification here about uh, about what soul is, and people mm -hmm. have different definitions, of course. But I'm interested in your definition. How do you mm -hmm. understand so? I was recently reading um, Plato, and I've been mm -hmm. lately. I've been deeply interested in the ancient Greeks over the past few years, I find that the ancient Greeks hold an incredible uh, heart of wisdom at, at really the source of our Western civilization. And what I find sometimes totally surprising is how we've 
inherited the Greeks and the Greek worldview in such a way that we really focus on the logical, philosophical aspects of the Greeks. But what we often mm. leave behind is the fact that many of these great philosophers were actually gurus. Many of these great philosophers were actually great wisdom holders and realizers. And they had mm. students who were more akin to spiritual students and spiritual heirs than they were like academic students. Mm. And so I bring that up because as I read the ancient Greeks, one of the things that I'm so stunned by is that there's so much discussion about the soul and mm. even about the transincarnational journey, the journey that a soul takes from incarnation to incarnation. Mm. And I'll say just two things about that. And that uh, one of the things that I was recently reading, it was uh, I'm reading a, a, a ancient philosopher named Proclus, P-R-O-C-L-U-S, who's said to have run the academy started by Plato for a couple decades, who's a really popular uh, philosopher at the time, philosopher and spiritual mm. teacher at the time. And one of the things that, that I'm reading in his work is the discussion about the soul and the different levels of being that we all have within us. And he refers to something that, that really stands out. And, and it seems in a certain way relevant to this moment in time in a certain way. And he says that Every soul is actually has a correlate in a star, and mm. that there are equal number of stars in our cosmos as there are souls. And there's a way in which tuning into our own soul can be similar to tuning into our own star or source star. And for me, when we start to understand soul on the level of its correlation with the cosmos, we also can say that, coming back to our primary metaphor, we can also say that when we're aligned with our purpose, we're actually aligning with both that inner star of purpose, but also that outer star correlate in the cosmos. And so there truly is an attunement that we have, both with self and nature, or self mm -hmm. and cosmos, as we find our way deeper into purpose. And so to more specifically answer your question about soul, there is an aspect of our experience, an aspect of our being that doesn't die when our physical body dies. There is an aspect of our experience, a mental body, an emotional body, an energetic body, and within that, a core of ultimate reality or ultimate self. There is an experience that we have that there is an aspect of uniqueness that can continue from incarnation to incarnation. So some traditions tend to call that soul. One of the things that I found interesting about the Tibetan tradition that I've studied so deeply in is that they tend not to use the word soul. They tend not to speak about sort of the personality that moves from life to life. They speak more about something that they call an indestructible essence. It's almost like something you can think of as a microchip that has all of your karma stored on it, both karma yeah. and wisdom that moves life to life. And so there are differences across traditions. There are some traditions that define soul as something that is a little bit more associated with the personality structure or the emotional or mental body. There's mm. other traditions that define it more impersonally, although it carries this microchip of karma. So I'm not uh, claiming to know the correct answer. And in fact, I think mm. that our experience of soul probably is enacted or brought forth based on our unique constellation of wisdom and the way that we see the world. However, I, I do feel confident that uh, when our physical body dies, there is some essence or some awareness that continues. Mm. And 
any aspect of that awareness that is cloaked in uniqueness, I would call soul. And the aspect of that awareness that is cloaked in uh, something that's more universal, uh, I would call spirit. So there's a difference between soul and spirit or a difference between the uniqueness of what continues and the universal aspect of what continues. Mm. All of which, I'll just say in closing, that all of which, both the uniqueness of soul and the universal aspect of spirit can be realized and recognized now in this life, in this moment, through the right meditative instructions, through the right direction, and through the right inner inquiry. So these are not things that need to be sort of discovered sometime after we die. These are things that are available to us right now through the right practice. Yeah. Yes, that is, of course, the most important part. How do we access soul and how do we how do we find more of our purpose and how do we get to know ourselves as spirit? Um, the practical side. Um, although our understanding of these concepts is also, as you said, it colors our way of enacting it, it colors our practice. So, yeah. So how then do we get closer to soul? What does the practice of connecting to one's soul look like? Well, given the definition that I was speaking about a bit earlier about the soul having the seed of both pain and pleasure and wisdom, I find that deeply intense moments of pain, suffering in life, or mm. incredibly exciting and elated moments of pleasure in life, or through moments in which the wisdom of the cosmos reveals itself to itself, I find that each of these three areas provide cracks in the personality structure for soul to begin shining through in a more obvious way. So that's one, is that we can use intense suffering or intense mm -hmm. pleasure or intense moments of wisdom and synchronicity, as you're pointing to, as mm -hmm. moments where there is an opening for soul to reveal itself to itself. But I'll say there's a second thing, and it really depends on which side of the equation you're looking from. If you're looking from the side of the personality and you're facing soul, there really is this usefulness in just making the invitation of opening up to that possibility. No. But at the same time, there is a flip that can happen. And mm -hmm. that flip is that we're no longer living as a personality looking towards soul, wondering about purpose. But the flip is that we begin to live as soul. Yeah. We begin to live as soul, living through a personality structure. And those practices that allow one to flip, to me, are some of the most interesting. Yeah. Because when we start to live as soul, rather than live as personality, we start to be aligned with purpose in a more authentic way. We're not mm -hmm. opening up to purpose, we are purpose. And we are yeah. the pain and pleasure and wisdom that we've inherited life after life. And so there's something about that flip that feels important for emphasizing the where the soul work can actually lead to. I'll say a couple more things, and that's that I found in my own personal journey that understanding my own inner masculine and inner feminine has been mm -hmm. an extremely important role, has played an extremely important role in my own journey as soul. Like as a personality, I have a very clear sense of my own sort of masculine cultured 
self. It's one that it was shared and cultured by my family, my culture, etc. And it took time in my my earlier you know, young adulthood to discover that I have a whole feminine side to my being that wasn't actually allowed to be as expressed in my culture, family, etc. So as I began to develop and be in touch with the feminine aspect of my being, it was almost like the feminine and masculine integration on the personality level provided a fabric for which the soul, through which the soul could begin to actually embody into this unique experience. And so there is an inner marriage that can happen that allows for soul to manifest itself and to fully incarnate in and through the personality. But it has to do with balancing the masculine and feminine aspects of ourself. And now I'll say that what starts to happen in my journey uh, you know, over the, over the years is what started to mature is that there's also a masculine and feminine dimension of soul or masculine and feminine side of soul. And, and of course, the soul is known as, a, as the uh, androgynous one, you know, both masculine mm-hmm. and feminine integrated. But there's a way in which I've actually been accentuating the soul-like, the, the soul aspects of each of these qualities. So I have this, you know, great feminine being, that, this aspect of my soul that has or this sorceress-like quality to her. And I have this incredibly uh, wise yogi on the masculine soul side of things. And so as I let those two beings live through the personality structure, it's almost impossible to not be on purpose because in a certain way you are purpose. You are the unique destiny thread that you're meant here to be. So I find this discussion about masculine and feminine and the deeper work around masculine and feminine impulses on the level of personality and level of soul to be an extremely important uh, element of how we actually begin to make that flip and to live as soul in the world through the personality structures. Hmm. That's interesting. I haven't heard so much about in the, um, masculine feminine in the context of soul work in that sense. Hmm. If listeners are interested in finding some sources of that information. There's a a teacher who's around today who I still continue to learn immensely from. His name is Bruce Lyon. Bruce Lyon is a teacher in New Zealand who teaches within a context called the Trans-Himalayan Teachings, which is the line that started with Blavatsky and Alice Bailey and went on from there. These are deep esoteric teachings, and there's a lot of wisdom in those teachings. So whether you go back to the work of Alice Bailey or you take it into the current context with someone like Bruce Lyon, Another friend of mine, John Daru, is also in that line. Um, these are people who could, if, if people were interested in exploring these dimensions of masculine and feminine, how they relate to the capacity of a soul to fully incarnate, um, they would be resources that I'd certainly point people to. Mm, wonderful. Yeah. Mm, I'm really glad that you brought in this um, yeah thing about living as soul and not just in relation to soul Mm. um hmm one question that has come to me at times and uh, probably to others is is it actually um what's the word is it a good idea to actually fully Um, surrender to soul in a sense and let soul take over one's life completely because i'm just i'm thinking that soul just 
doesn't um, isn't the best um, aspect of us to handle our economy, for example, and other mm-hmm. <laughs> more practical things. So it's just, um, yeah, how do you understand that? Mm-hmm. You know, I know that um, probably you and, and others listening to this may have heard of uh, integral theory. Yeah. And one of the principles in integral theory is a, a principle that we often say is transcend and include. So each developmental shift or each evolutionary progression of a human being, each of those stages transcends and includes the previous aspect of the previous stage. And I'd say the same is true as we grow and develop and begin to live as soul. I said <clears throat> there is a potential of transcending the personality and living as soul and then somehow negating or jettisoning the personality, which I think would be an error in spiritual development. Uh, it's not that we want to live as soul and somehow uh, get rid of the unique aspects of the personality. Instead, I think a much more skillful way to understand both the direct experience and the framework to approach soul is to say that as we begin to live fully as soul, soul then lives through and as the personality. And so mm. in that way, we transcend, include, and penetrate. We transcend the personality include it, but also penetrate through it with the wisdom that the soul brings. And in that way, souls living through and as personalities are totally capable of uh, handling the economy or your own basic finances and accounting, (laughs) because the soul then has access to all of the unique and very grounded down-to-earth characteristics and skills of the personality structure. And so in that way, to your question, is it really practical or possible or plausible or even wise to live as soul uh, fully? I would say absolutely, as long as that's done in a healthy way. It needs yeah. to be done as a full transcend, include, and penetrate, not as yeah. a transcend and deny, negate, or spiritually bypass the personality structure. That would not be skillful. Yeah. Well, that's really helpful. Transcend, include, and penetrate. Mm. Yeah. And that really, once again, if we just use this framework of masculine and feminine, the transcendent include or transcendent embrace is the feminine. It's the Mm. womb that holds the personality. Of course, we need that. We need to sort of include all dimensions of self. But there's also another dimension, and that's how we bring the power of the soul through. And that's the power of penetration or the masculine to actually move all the way in and through the personality instruction. Mm, so we're mm. not just embracing and including with the feminine womb, but we're actually penetrating through with this Vajra-like quality to bring forth what's possible here on the planet. We need both. Yeah. Hi, sorry for interrupting. I would just like to take a brief moment to share a bit about what I do as a purpose guide. So are you in a place in your life where you would really like to get engaged in something? Maybe there are many alternatives that are pulling you in different directions, but it's really hard to choose one. They all seem relevant and interesting. What you would like is to be able to fully commit to something so that you can be 100% engaged in what you're doing, in a way where you feel that your unique gifts and talents are made good use of, and where you feel that you're making a contribution towards a better world. 
So my solution to this dilemma would be to help you find your purpose. Because when you have that clarity about why you're here, why you're alive in this time and place, it's so much easier to choose. And when it's easier to choose, it's easier to get engaged in what you're doing without constant doubts about whether what you're doing is the right thing. So how do we do that? How do I help you get clear about your purpose? It's a process that is very much about connecting you to your soul, because your soul, the deepest part of yourself, is the part that knows your purpose. So the whole program, the Purpose Discovery Program, is very much centered around helping you get closer to your soul and to get information from your soul about your purpose and the different aspects of your purpose. We divide purpose into eight different facets, vision, powers, values, essence, giveaway, task, message and delivery system. And through different kinds of practices, you will gradually more and more clarify each of these throughout the process. Towards the end of the process, you're likely to have a very good soul-level understanding about why you're here. If this sounds interesting for you, you can book a free introductory session. It doesn't cost you anything, just a little bit of your time. We'll have a chat and we'll see if the program is the right fit for you and if you and I are a good fit to work on this together. So if you feel called, I really want to encourage you to go to my website and find the contact page and book a free session. Okay, let's get back to the interview. Thanks for listening. Yeah, definitely. In in speaking of masculine and feminine just this quality of penetration like my a teacher of mine used to speak about used to use that term a lot in terms of living one's purpose like letting letting one's gifts penetrate the universe penetrate the world mm. And that probably speaks more to a person who has a more masculine orientation. But I guess that's equally important for a more feminine person to include that side. Particularly when we're talking about the level of soul. At the level of personality, we often identify a bit more with one of those polarities. And I think that's totally appropriate to identify more with one of those polarities. Mm. But as we move into the level of soul the androgynous nature of soul creates a capacity for both embrace and penetration, which become the requirement for that soul to stably live and express itself through the personality structure of any human being. This is part of the reason why that balancing on the uh, coming into right relationship with both of these dimensions on the personality level becomes the, the bed through which these soul energies can manifest in the world. Yeah. Hmm. Pauli, I have a I have a question for you. And I, yeah. I I'd be curious to know there's this term spiritual bypassing. Have you are you familiar with this term? Have you heard this term? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so John Wellwood, I think, was one of the first people to use this term. And yeah. the basic idea is that we somehow 
overly identify with the more spiritual aspects of ourselves, on a level of soul or level of spirit. We identify with some sort of oneness and deny the manyness. And yeah. in that experience, we often find that people either numb out, they're not fully feeling their personality or the pain or what's happening in their lives, or yeah. they become despondent in other ways. I'd just be curious to, to, to learn how you work with students when it comes to purpose finding. And if you see spiritual bypassing as something that comes up in people's experience, um, and I ask just because I've seen it to be so rampant all over the world and many people I speak to and work with, and it's almost like it was part of the air that was sort of transferred into Western culture as we began to integrate some of these Eastern traditions. So mm. just be curious, are you exposed to spiritual bypassing and do you work with it in any particular way through your purpose work? Hmm. Well, firstly, the people who come to me tend to be kind of <laughs> feel a bit done with spiritual bypassing. I mean, if you're interested in purpose, that's kind of a sign often, not necessarily, mm. but often mm. that that you want to engage yourself more in your life, like more fully engage yourself in, in the world, in what's mm -hmm. here. <laughs> um, um, so therefore, I don't tend to get so much of that, but um, I notice some tendencies sometimes. So when I see that, I do like to try to... Um, yeah nudge people out of that um but but i yeah i haven't had so much opportunity to work with it because it unfortunately i mean <laughs> it doesn't come up so much with um these people it's beautiful mm. to think about that i like thinking about purpose as an antidote in a certain way it's yeah like purpose brings people into the world in such a way that either they find it once they're they've had enough of spiritual bypassing or they find it in a way that allows them to uh, encourages them to engage with their relative dimensions. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, right. Purpose as an antidote to spiritual bypassing, definitely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, not necessarily. I think it could be used um, you know, on a more superficial level. It could Purpose could be used as a way to kind of, yeah, I'll just find this one thing and focus on it, and then anything else doesn't doesn't matter. Not all my pain doesn't matter, and my relations doesn't matter. And um, but it, I, you can't do that in this context because this is about soul purpose, and it's um, <laughs> it's just not possible. Yeah, but speaking of soul, I have a question, and this I'm not expecting you to have like any kind of definitive answer to this, but I'm just curious to hear what is the origin of soul? When and how was soul born? Where, where does soul come from? <laughs> Great. Great question. You know, I'm, it's like with all these things, I want to just speak with humility. And I, I was just, um, I was just spending a weekend with a dear friend of mine who's a, a Sanskrit scholar and does PhD at Harvard. And, you know, it's just a a genius in, in a lot of these areas of, of understanding at least what the Eastern and Indian traditions have said about some of these topics. And, you know, I'm, as I mentioned earlier, I'm reading these other books of the great philosophers in ancient Greece. And of course, I myself have studied deeply in the Tibetan tradition. So in a certain way, like, you know, I'm nowhere qualified to even speak to that. And because you asked, I feel like it's fun to do. So yeah. I have the spirit of lightheartedness. I will, uh, you know, we can, we can, you know, play around a little bit. Yeah. 
so to me there's both a um like a big picture way we can think about the generation of soul and there's the sort of micro moment to moment so sometimes you know big terms like the macrogenetic and microgenetic manifestation of soul. So we can think of this in a large picture of like how is soul, how does soul exist in the context of say the Big Bang or the larger sort of manifestation of the cosmos from some source of creation. And mm. you know, in a certain way, that's all sort of metaphysical speculation. And so mm-hmm. I'm less interested in answering it from that particular aspect mm-hmm. of the reality. But what I am interested in is answering it from what sometimes would be called the, the microgenetic or or the moment-to-moment generation of soul. And so from that perspective, I feel like I'm a bit more equipped to answer because I can speak about my own direct experience. Mm. And so in any given moment, moment by moment by moment, reality begins as an unbounded wholeness. And that unbounded wholeness or unbounded oneness is the ground or source of all experience. And through meditative practice and realization, that's something that can be established and recognized in direct experience. From that level of being, what starts to happen is that there is a manifestation of individual consciousness that's embedded in the structures of time and space and subject and object where there's both a witness and that which is witness. So there's a, the introduction of duality, moment by moment. Also something you can become aware of with the right meditative instructions and right practice, you can become aware of that step down from ultimate wholeness into the creation of subject and object. And from that point, things step down even further to the level of uniqueness beyond just the bare witnessing, but uniqueness. And it's at that level of uniqueness, uniqueness of perspective, uniqueness of experience, that I might say soul is generated. There's an aspect of our experience, one step down from a universal witness to a level of actually feeling the unique qualities of past and present. Hmm. At that level of experience, we can become aware of that dimension of our own awareness as soul. But that soul then steps down even further into the level of the personality structure, the level of the senses, all the input that comes through the eyes and the ears and the sense structures. And if we begin to step down even further, then we're fully embodied into this particular incarnation. So what I've just articulated there is the process of incarnation step by step. So I'm less interested in the genesis of soul in some sort of philosophical way, looking at sort of some big picture past. I'm really interested, however, in looking at the generation of soul moment to moment. And so what I'd understand is that as the physical body dies and we lose contact with all of the senses, we very likely also lose, at least shortly thereafter death, all connection with the personality structure. Hmm. But what remains is this level of uniqueness, the level of the soul. And that level of the soul is what then would be transmigrate or reincarnate from life to life into body to body. But there's also a point, at least in my limited understanding, it would also be a point at which the identification even with soul could come to completion, at which point in time exclusive identification with the ultimate wholeness could remain by choice. One could actually stay permanently established as that wholeness. But more often than not, what occurs is that because of the innate intention of goodness 
and the innate intention of the universe deciding to wake itself up to itself, this revelation of ultimate purpose that we've talked about earlier. What often happens is that the wholeness doesn't stay in a state of stasis or a state of wholeness only. What happens is out of that love, out of that goodness, out of that care, soul is manifested once again and takes incarnation, but this time from a place of freedom and from a place of serving this ultimate purpose of helping to reveal all of itself to itself through all of its expressions. Hmm. So there's something about the generation of soul within that sequence that to me you know, is, is intriguing and it's interesting hmm. because it can take us to our direct experience as opposed to talking about something metaphysically. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, so there's one thing that I'd really like us to have a look at that I heard you speak about um, somewhere else, and that is that the unique purpose, relative purpose, it's not, doesn't just take form in like a person's individual purpose, but also takes form as a planetary purpose and the purpose of the universe and a community's purpose and a family's purpose and so forth. So I find that a really interesting perspective. So could you speak a little bit about that? Mm-hmm. I'd love to, brother. This is a, And this really gets to the heart of the moment that we're in right now on our planet. Yeah. So for those people who are, are familiar with integral theory and the work of Ken Wilber, we might say that there are there's sort of a quality of purpose or eros in all four quadrants. But for those who, it doesn't make sense for, I'll just break that down a little bit. So <laughs> there is both individual purpose and collective purpose. When groups of souls come together that have their individual purpose online by the nature of incarnating as a soul, what starts to happen is that we find when we come together that there are ways that unique purpose overlap with each other's. And then we start to find that there is a collective dimension of purpose. There are groups of souls incarnated who share a similar destiny and who are destined to manifest purpose together. And one of the ways of thinking about this is that each of those souls has a particular code or a key that's necessary. That when that key is inserted into this codex or into this lock, or when that code is put into the codex, that the group soul, the group that's there to manifest something together, it's unlocked. It actually reveals a capacity for a group to manifest according to their own destiny and unique purpose. So there's both individual souls and then there's groups that come together with unique, wider purpose of manifestation. Mm -hmm. But then even further, if we look at the larger understanding of what it means to be a planet in the larger cosmos, there's a way in which our planet, just like each individual has its unique purpose, and then groups within our planet have their own unique purpose. The group of souls incarnating currently on our planet as a whole also has a unique purpose as a planet. So we have a planetary purpose in cosmos. And there is a way in which, as a planet, we'll eventually understand our planetary purpose in relation to other planetary uh, structures in the cosmos. So each planet would have its unique purpose in the larger Mm. unfolding of a cosmic evolution. And in a similar way, we might say that there's galactic purpose. Our particular galaxy would have a particular role to play when it comes to the purpose that we play in relation to other galaxies as we unfold into larger and larger levels of manifestation. And so finally, we recognize that we're all aligned with a cosmic purpose. And that cosmic purpose 
is at least in part to reveal itself to itself, as we were saying. We begin to approach ultimate purpose as we move to larger and larger scales of being in cosmos. Mm. There's something elegant about the progression of how we move from individuals to groups to planets to galaxies, etc. Yeah. Yeah, and something I really appreciate about the way you spoke about it in the... Yeah, at the um, the summit, the Purpose Discovery Summit, was that you you spoke about how we can feel into all these different purposes, so we <clears> can <throat> like the planetary purpose. We can kind of tap into that and sense sense the purpose of the planet through us, <clears throat> and sense the purpose of the particular particular part of the world where where we live and sense the purpose of the universe and i found that very i started feeling into that a little bit myself and i noticed that there's something really valuable in connecting to all those levels of purpose as an individual also how holy how did you find well first i should say do you feel like you're on purpose in your life yeah definitely i can say Mm. that and then what was it that allowed you to start aligning more deeply with your own purpose yeah that's a good question Mm. i've noticed in my life that when i am in a place where i feel like i have some sense of stability in my life when I'm not overwhelmed by circumstances or where I'm not overwhelmed by very strong internal emotional turmoil, um, purpose kind of comes up naturally. And um, and do you feel it or do you know it? How is you, what's your sense-making sort of, of purpose in your own life? Do you feel it in your body? Do you just know it cognitively? How, how do you experience it? Yeah... Um, so what usually happens in those moments is I feel, I feel definitely something in my body. I, what I, how should I put it? The term evolutionary impulse really makes a lot of sense to me, like based on that experience. Like I feel like evolution wants to move through me and wants to move me in a specific direction. Mm-hmm. Um, like, mm, yeah and um of course it leads to lots of ideas that are coming up like i unstoppable basically they just come because yeah i guess that's the way that's the way soul wants to guide me to to go in a specific direction um but it was really helpful for me also to go through the Purpose Discovery Program at the Purpose Guides mm-hmm. Institute. Because mm-hmm. um, that, in some way, there's a certain certainty around purpose tends to get, um, there's always, always, tends to be a doubt that comes into play also. And uh, through that program, I, it's a you know it's a process of getting to a very deep soul connection over a, an extended period of time with lots of different practices supporting that and um through that process i just felt like all the 
hint that I had gotten about my purpose earlier in life or things that I had sensed, they just, um, I felt confirmed on a very deep level. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And since then I haven't had any doubts really, I think. It's just been very much about doing it and living it. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's a quality of like, you're, you know that you're on purpose. It's like, there's no question about it when you're on purpose. Is that your experience? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, find the, I find the same thing. And I think that that's a, you know, something worth naming is that there's a, there's a sense of just knowing that you're in the right flow, you know, knowing that like you've aligned in the right way for your unique manifestation. And, you know, so much of our soul's journey is, is trying to work out, you know, how do I, how do I come into that deeper alignment? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's a place very many people long to be. And I, I know this from the people coming to work with me and, um because we want to be engaged we want to be fully engaged in life <laughs> um in in doing something that contributes to the whole in a way that our uniqueness our unique talents and um powers are put to good use that's yeah. a very deep desire of of the soul of our being and as long as we're not there we will yearn for it mm-hmm. yeah and it's really one of the most fulfilling things i can i've experienced to really be on purpose and have mm-hmm. most of one's time and energy go to doing that which one is called to do yes yeah well that's a pretty good place to finish and we're kind of running out of time anyway so Mm -hmm. before we end before we wrap up here i would like to give you some space to share a little bit about what you would like to people people to know about your work and how they can contact you and well thank you for that space and i think if i had um of course i can say very practical things but just a sort of a closing message or closing remark it's that i want everybody who hears this to know that it's possible Mm. it's possible in this life it's possible to find discover reveal become your purpose Mm. and that not only is it possible but that you're desperately needed and that the world needs you to show up with all of who you are and that all of who you are is welcome and wanted and desired. Mm. And the more that we can call each other forth and the more we can invite each other and the more we can actually create safe spaces for souls to fully incarnate individually and collectively together, Mm. the more that we'll begin to feel and experience the changes that we know are necessary in our own planetary evolution. So that's to say that when we're talking about purpose, we're not talking about somebody else, somewhere else. We're talking about you and the purpose that's alive in you 
is needed. It's part of a larger symphony. And without you bringing forth your purpose, there's a note or there's an instrument that's missing in that symphony. So that's one, as I want people to hear that and know that, that this isn't something abstract that we're actually talking to each of you. The second piece is that it's also possible to recognize and to realize ultimate purpose or absolute purpose in this life. It's possible for you to come to know yourself as an unbounded sphere of reality, unbounded wholeness with no separation, that feeling of oneness, goodness, love, or truth, beauty, and goodness, as the Greek philosophers would say. It's possible to come to know that and experience that in this incarnation. And that when those two come together, we actually have so much that we can bring. We also bring a sense of freedom to what we do because of the absolute purpose. And we bring a sense of fullness to what we do because of the relative purpose. And that marriage, as my one of my mentors, Ken Wilber, often says, that marriage of freedom and fullness is really when we find ourselves so deeply aligned with what's possible on the planet. So I just want to end with that sort of invitation, that welcoming, that that blessing for everyone who hears this to just join in this cosmic symphony that's unfolding and that you're so needed and welcomed into this. And then finally, I'll just say that anybody who wants to go deeper into these particular details, I'm teaching a five-day retreat at the Esalen Institute uh, in November of this year. Um, mm-hmm. You can go to the Esalen website. That's uh, and you can look up details of that. But the retreat is from the 22nd of November to the 27th of November. And I'm looking at both absolute wholeness and relative wholeness and mm. the ways that those two manifest together. So, so much of what we've been talking about today is what this five-day retreat is about. And I really just invite anybody and everyone to come and experience Esalen and experience these teachings directly in, in person. Mm. You can sign up on the Esalen website. It's called a, The Radiant Path to Wholeness. Hmm, sounds wonderful. Anything more you'd like to share? I'd just like to thank you for your invitation to be here, and I wish you uh, so much goodness in your life, and may this podcast reach many people and have a positive influence in their lives. Yeah, thank you so much, Dustin, for taking the time for this. It's been great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. In the second part, we dive deeply into the practical side of purpose discovery. If you're the least bit interested in discovering your purpose, you're going to love this part. You can find it in the members area of my website. It doesn't cost you anything at all to become a member. It's completely free. What I especially love about the second part is the discussion about meditation in the context of discovering one's purpose. While meditation is often used to calm the mind, it can also be used to open up space for new insights to arise. And in this manner, it can be used as a tool for identifying your calling. Dustin also shares about some other useful practices, such as praying to one's soul. Most importantly, he guides us through a powerful purpose discovery practice. You're likely to know at least something that you didn't know before about your purpose after doing this practice. Here's an excerpt from the second part. It's actually possible if the meditation path isn't something that resonates with you, it's possible to create a prayer practice or a practice of devotion. And that devotion doesn't have to be to something outside of yourself. It doesn't have to be to some form of divinity. It doesn't have to be to God or 
to some other form, but you can actually develop a relational prayer practice with your own soul. And you can begin praying to this higher aspect of yourself. And so those prayers that we might introduce, if I was working with someone one-on-one or, or perhaps even in a practice on this call or a future call, where you begin to just invite contact with your soul through prayer. You begin to invite a deeper relationship and you begin to ask for insight from these deeper aspects of yourself. Ask for purpose, ask for meaning, ask for signs, ask for seeds of wisdom to be planted within your psyche in ways that they can blossom into further potential. If you want to listen to the rest of the second part, you can either find the members area in the menu on my website, paulisari.com, or use the link in the show notes. Membership is completely free. You just sign up with your name and email address and receive a password. And that gives you access to all of the extra materials for the podcast. In case you really do not want to be on another mailing list, I totally understand. What you can do in that case is to sign up and then unsubscribe immediately after you've received the password. In the members area you can also find a purpose discovery meditation. These are strong words, but I can almost guarantee that this meditation will give you at least some piece of new information concerning your purpose. I say that based on that this is what people again and again report back to me after doing the meditation. I hope that you will find it helpful too. Thanks again for listening to this episode. Have a great week and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you.